Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. It took a lot of shit to get here. That could have drained us and it didn't. Stick together. Play for each other. A win is a win is a win. The focus... All three phases. I think we made the dominant dominant And we're back at it. We're up. We're up in four days. Yes, sir. You gotta go get them. Go get them Giants. Okay. So enjoy this. Outstanding. We're being a damn good football team today. Now we're figuring it out. That's three. Yes, sir. Everything will be mental. And we go for four against a really good opponent. That's outstanding, gentlemen. You earned it, man. It's been a long season. It's November. It's Thanksgiving week. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. yeah. We got a big one. It's a Monday edition of Pro Football Talk Live. Thanksgiving week officially has begun. Three games coming up in three days. Miles Simmons coming up whenever his technical difficulties resolve themselves. And I promise that I won't give him a hard time for waiting so long to try to log in, waiting so long to update his computer and causing him to not be here. He's officially tardy. It goes in his permanent record. There's a T. Remember when you were in school, you get an A if you were absent, and you get a T if you were tardy. Miles, tardy for today's edition of PFT Live. But that's okay. I can handle things, I think. I think I've done it before. Once or twice. I did it for like a year and a half before we got Sims. So we'll get through this. Serenity now. No serenity for the Minnesota Vikings. I'm going to make the executive decision. Because Miles attended the Chiefs-Chargers game. Personally, in the press box there. Somehow they still credential PFT employees to attend these games. So I'll wait till he joins us to talk about the Sunday night game. And I'm going to jump right into my own personal misery. As we begin this Monday edition of PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel. Learn more, as always, at googlestore.com. And before I get to that, let me just delay 
reviewing what happened at U.S. Bank Stadium yesterday by saying hello to the audience, watching the program on Peacock, listening on Sirius XM 85, watching tape delayed on Mondays because there's a chance that we may say a bad word or two, especially today, Sky Sports NFL, and hello to the podcast audience anywhere you may be, whenever, wherever, however you may be listening. So, so, and this is one of those, in hindsight, should have seen it coming outcomes. And I mentioned this last night during the taping that Maria Taylor, Tony Dungy, Jason Garrett, and I did. Cowboys now 4-0 and all time at U.S. Bank Stadium. They need to call it Jerry World North. Cowboys undefeated. And my son went to the game. He and a couple of his friends made the trip. My son had always wanted to go to a Vikings home game. He picked that one. I didn't pick it for him. I didn't pick green. Didn't turn out to be green. Turned out to be black and blue for the Vikings. 40-3. to And... Beyond the game being tied 3-3, to they were never in it. The game started with a strip sack of Kirk Cousins. The Vikings held the Cowboys to a field goal, then matched it, which created the impression that, okay, maybe, maybe there's something here. But, you know, it's the age-old reality. If you can't run the ball, if you can't stop the run, you're done. Because if you can't run the ball against the Cowboys, who were gashed by the Green Bay Packers just one week earlier, if you can't run it against them, you got to deal with Michael Parsons and company. Kirk Cousins was sacked seven times in the Minnesota loss to the Cowboys. Seven times, career high. And he explained after the game, it's just part of the reality of the situation they were in. It started early, and then as they were behind and had to throw the ball, you're going to end up getting sacked more times. It's the pin their ears back phase. I still don't know what that means. I've been hearing that phrase all my life. You pin your ear back. You already have a helmet on that's pinning your ears back. But that's the saying that's become the accepted cliche when it's time to just go after the pass rusher because you know they're going to throw the ball and throw the ball and throw the ball some more, and that's exactly what the Vikings had to do. They fall to 8-2. and 8-2, and two. hey, you tell anyone out there that has any partiality toward the Vikings you're going to be 8-2 after 10 games? They're going to say, I'll take that and run with it. But it's always that last game, that most recent game, that that generates the overall vibe and for the Vikings. To get smacked around like that at home. First of five home games in six. To get beaten like that, ooh, that, sets a, that sets a tone. That sets a vibe. That's just not good. With the Patriots coming to town, on Thursday night, and then the Jets after that, a couple of great defenses, maybe some more of what we saw on Sunday. If that Vikings offense can't get going, the defense isn't good enough to do it alone. They need the offense to score points. That defense, it it hasn't been good all year. It rises up in select moments. It makes plays when its back is against the wall. And credit to the Cowboys. It reminded me a little bit, and you're probably not going to, at first blush, think that there's any connection here. It reminded me of Tebow mania. I remember 11 years ago when every week Tim Tebow was pulling a rabbit out of his butt 
and coming from behind with the Broncos to win these crazy games. The only way to beat that is to knock them out early and put them away and create no opportunity for some sort of kooky, crazy comeback in the fourth quarter. And that's what the Cowboys did. 23-3 to at the half, and then first drive of the second half, dagger, with the 68-yard catch and run by Tony Pollard. Pollard said after the game it was a play that they installed specifically for the Vikings, and for Vikings fans it brings back memories of 2018 Vikings at Rams, Anthony Barr covering people much faster than him. Barr, coincidentally now on the Cowboys, he was inactive yesterday, but you can't put a linebacker on Tony Pollard. Went for a touchdown, and that was it. 30-3, to three, that's it. No magic left when it's 30-3. to three. Cowboys move on for the win. They're now 7-3. and three. And it sets up for a very, very exciting Thanksgiving. You got the Lions, who have won three in a row. You got the Bills, who are riding this high now of escaping Buffalo. Going to Detroit, getting their win. We'll talk about those games coming up. You got Giants-Cowboys showdown in the middle portion. And then you've got the Patriots coming to Minnesota, both teams over 500 for the nightcap. A game that when they announced the schedule in May, most people were like, Patriots-Vikings Thanksgiving night. Well, it's football. It's on TV. We'll be in a turkey coma. Don't be in a turkey coma at any point. There's no point. In the day, on Thursday, where you should be not paying attention. Every game is compelling. Every game has postseason implications. Every game has the potential to be a very good game. Until the Patriots up 30-3 to over the Vikings at halftime. Uh, <laughs> see, I'm now back to being a complete and total fatalist. I think we have Miles. They're trying to say something to me, but sometimes I can't hear... Hello. What they are saying over my loud mouth. There he is. Yeah. You are That's late. Right. I would I would do this I if I had a watch on. Hello. Well, I I have you? a watch on and I, I I am late. You know the technology here this morning has completely failed me. But how about them Cowboys, Mike? Man, oh man! Wow, what a I completed talking about that game. You missed it. It's over. It's done. <laughs> We're moving on to the game you attended. I changed uh, up. No, that's okay. I took my medicine out of the gates. Yeah, you did. Ah, oh, yeah. man, I was so I was so ready to come on you with that. How about them Cowboys? And the technology just absolutely failed me. So that's the thing. I always the thing I've had nightmares about, and I literally have, is that I'm gonna be, you know, I'm gonna oversleep somehow my alarm or the alarm won't go off, and I'm gonna be like da 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 da. But no, it's actually the technology that fails at this early hour, and so that's why I'm late. I'm, I'm not happy about that right now, Mike. I'm really not. But here we are. It's okay. You're here now. It doesn't matter. You only missed eight, nine minutes of the program. No big deal. Nobody Golly. watches the first nine minutes anyway. Nobody watches it at all, so it's no big deal. Don't <laughs> stress about it. We're here. We're going to have some fun. It's football. Let's uh, have some fun, especially as we quit talking about the Vikings game. We probably should say a little bit more about it, though. Dak Prescott was phenomenal. And in the aftermath of the Packers' loss, people were starting to say that Dak Prescott is the weak link. I, I suspect at some level that chatter made its way into the ear holes of Dak Prescott and 
motivated yesterday, 22 for 25, 276 yards and two touchdowns. And, Miles, I was saying before you came on, and you may have heard some of this, the Vikings' defense isn't nearly good enough to get the job done if the offense isn't doing it. And we saw how that defense just got exposed repeatedly on Sunday. Yeah, it it was a real blowout from cover to cover. And I, I did hear you talking a little bit about this Tony Pollard catch right there. I mean, when you install things specifically for an opponent and you can get to them and you execute them like that, that's just that's such a good feeling on offense as a play caller, as a schemer, as a player when you're executing stuff like that. And you're right. It was reminiscent of that 2018 game that the Vikings had against the Rams at the L.A. Coliseum that I was at as well. And you just see, OK, yeah, this is how you scheme up things against that particular defense and how they work. You know, so when things happen like that. And it ends up as a 40-3 to three win. It's like the Vikings were maybe reading their press clippings a little bit too much last week. You know, I mean, there was that video of Kevin O'Connell in the locker room and how he said this solidifies us as one of the best teams in the league. And then you go out and you get humbled. And boy, did they get humbled. Let's have a listen to Kevin O'Connell, who acknowledges that he indeed did get humbled in what was the second worst Home loss in franchise history. The only other one that went worse was a 42-point loss to the then St. Louis Cardinals in 1963. I wasn't even born then. That's That's how long ago it was. (laughs) How many names ago was that for the the Cardinals? (laughs) We're an 8-2 football team. Uh, There's going to be a lot of narratives about our team that we can or can't control. We really can't control. We know that. Uh, We just got to look inward to our locker room. I felt the right. uh, I I felt all along we've got the right kind of guys. We've got the right coaching staff. Uh, I I, I do do believe that we will respond to this the right way. Uh, But at this point in the season, um, November comes, and and sometimes you can get hit in the mouth. This league has a way of uh, humbling any football team at any point in time if you don't play good football. And we did not tonight. And uh, we've got to learn from this and and make sure we move forward in the right direction and, and, and really trust that we're going to handle this response the right way. When you come out of the gates saying we're an 8-2 and two football team, that's the equivalent of the Colts hanging the banner after they get blasted 45-2. to What was the final <laughs> score of that game, the deflate Kate game, right? Well, you're trying all you can to find the silver lining. And I said at the top, if you tell Vikings fans that you're going to be 8-2 and two after 10 games back in September, they say we'll take it but not the way they took it yesterday. That is not the final chapter in that 10-chapter book to conclude that chunk of contest to start off the year. And they could be an 8-3 football team come Thursday night. Look, I took a lot of grief because when they were down 10 points in the fourth quarter a couple of weeks ago at Washington or at Maryland, I said they're going to be 6-5. and five. They're 6-1 and one right now. By Thanksgiving night, it's going to be 6-5 and five because you're blowing a game to a commander's team you should beat. You're going to go to Buffalo and get stomped. You're going to get beaten by the Cowboys, and then the Patriots are going to come to town, and Bill Belichick is going to do Bill Belichick things. He's got a mastery of the Vikings through a variety of coaches for the past 20 years. He doesn't lose to the Vikings, hasn't in a very long time. So now they've got to turn it around to avoid one becoming two. That's the thing. Don't let one loss become two. Well, it's pretty hard when you get the – SH-T kicked out of you. I'm being good since it's Thanksgiving week. On Sunday, and then you got 
to turn around and do it again with all the distractions of the holiday week and feeling like what happened to us? How do you get it back by Thursday night? And that's going to be the challenge for Kevin Connell, a challenge he's never faced before. This is his first rodeo. He's got to figure out how to get these guys back into that vibe where they can win football games, Miles. Mike, I saw the stat yesterday, and I I was kind of perplexed by it. The the Vikings are 8-2, and and they have a negative point differential. How is that possible? How is that even possible? They're they're not a bad football team, but bad football teams are usually the ones that have the negative point differentials. And and a lot of times you get those teams that are in the hunt, and we look at them, and we see the graphic, and we're like, okay, which teams are real, which teams are not real? It's usually the teams with the negative point differential where you're able to say, well, there's something that's a bit of a mirage here with that team. And the Vikings are eight and two. You don't usually have, okay, there's some sort of mirage here with that team, but it's, it's one of those things that makes me feel like, wait, I don't, I don't know. There's something there that's not quite right. And and it's because they, the losses that they've had have been so lopsided, but I mean, it's what you've talked about too. They've had to find that rabbit out of their rear end and they've been able to do it many times. But that means you're playing in close games, and it's great to win those things. But when you lose like that, and you're at home, and you're coming off a big emotional win, there's something that you need to examine. And uh, the fact that they have you know, only a few days before they can play again may be a good thing or maybe a bad thing. I don't know. But we'll see what happens when they come out and they play the Patriots because that is a huge game, even though it's a non-conference game. It's still a very, very big game because of the national profile that they're going to have. We all have that little voice. Sometimes we listen to it. Sometimes we ignore it. More often than not, it's wise to listen to that little voice. And the little voice was saying to me, and I ignored that very wise little voice all week, Think back to the Minneapolis Miracle. What happened after the Vikings won that very emotional, uplifting game in the playoffs 2017? They went to Philadelphia and lost 38-7. to It is hard to regroup after something like that. And when you consider that the game in Buffalo, I said this last week, it wasn't just a roller coaster. It was every ride in the amusement park jammed into one, (laughs) and it would never end. You're yelling, stop the ride, and it's still going. And it ultimately ended up okay, but, man, what a thing to go through. And then to have that euphoria and have to reload and refocus when everyone's telling you how great you are. And Kirk Cousins tried to say nothing's changed last week. Well, everything changes. When you're the toast of the league, when you're the number one team in some power rankings, including those at PFT, the only ones that really matter, since none of them matter, we can say ours are the only ones that do matter. It's a lot. And when you have the Cowboys extra salty coming off of losing a game they should have won in Green Bay, blowing a 14-point lead, entering the fourth quarter for the first time in franchise history. I think the number was 195-0 and when leading by 14 or more, entering the fourth quarter. And then they're 195-1. and You've got a reason to get refocused. You've got a reason to be pissed off. You've got a reason to say, hey, we're going to go out there. We're going to stop the run. We couldn't stop the run. We got to stop the run. Mike McCarthy said at one point last week, rushing the passer is a privilege that flows from the ability of a defense to stop the run. If you can't stop the run, you don't have the privilege of rushing the passer. And that's exactly what happened yesterday. Yesterday was textbook, simple football, run and stop the run. If you can run and stop the run, you're going to win. 
And yep. sometimes you're going to win by two. Sometimes you're going to win by 37. But you're going to win if you can run and stop the run, Miles. Yeah, it's very true. It's why that adage is, you know, used as much as it is, because when you can control the game from those standpoints, that is how you're going to see those kinds of results. So yeah, when Tony Pollard's running it as well as he has, and then when the Cowboys defense is stopping the run with Dalvin Cook as they did, the Vikings, I think, had 77 rushing yards. That's something where you're going to win most games like that. If you can hold opponents to that few rushing yards, and they don't have, I don't know, somebody like Patrick Mahomes, right, who can go out there and fire it all around the field, or Josh Allen with the Bills, and they don't usually run the football, and they usually win like that. But for most teams, if you can hold a, a, a franchise to that few rushing yards, especially one that prides itself on running the football like the Vikings do, then that's kind of the result you're going to get. How about Tony Pollard, by the way? 80 rushing yards, 109 receiving yards, two touchdowns in a contract year. Great game. What do you do if you're the Cowboys? There's no way Ezekiel Elliott's on this team next year unless he dramatically restructures his contract. He wouldn't have been on the team this year. He did as a result of his holdout. And we fully endorse players who have the leverage to get the team's attention to do whatever they have to do to get paid. He got a contract that had rolling guarantees that would kick in a year in advance. You know, a lot of these contracts, your salary becomes fully guaranteed if you're on the roster fifth day of the current league year, this year's salary. Under Elliott's deal, it kicked in last year. This year's salary got guaranteed last March. Their hands were yeah. tied. And there's no way. $12 million? No way. He's, hey, he's playing well this year, but not at that position. The math doesn't work. Too many guys out there, like Tony Pollard, who can play. And now Pollard, what are they going to do, Miles? The last time they had a really great performance from a running back in a contract year. Remember when that was? Remember who it was? DeMarco, DeMarco Murray. They Murray. said bye-bye. Sorry. 2014. Yeah, yeah, bye-bye. And then they had a horrible yeah. year, and then they drafted Ezekiel Elliott. But they're, they well, got but, a problem after they, this season with Tony they Pollard. They're gonna, I mean, what are they going to do? Uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I, you're, you're right. DeMarco Murray got burned. He got used up and burned up, and there was nothing left. With Pollard, because he hasn't been overused, there's still something right. there. But what do you do? Do you pay him? Do you franchise tag him? It's, it's a tough decision they're going to have to make because it's a position where you can go out and find somebody else who can come in and get it done. It, it is. I mean, it depends on how well you trust your scouting staff and what they're telling you about these running backs that are coming out and how you can kind of project where you're going to be and where you're going to fall. I think that no matter what, though, they probably should keep Tony Pollard. I think if, the more we see him and the more of a load that he takes, you can tell that he is able to carry that. Right. I don't, there were some quotes from Mike McCarthy a few weeks ago that were kind of like, oh, you know, yes, we see those two guys and Zeke and Pollard as both starting running backs. But it's very, very clear. And it has been clear for a while that Pollard should be one A and that Zeke is two. Uh, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Just as you said, you know, if Zeke goes out there and he has the agent. Um, who's negotiating a great deal for him, that's wonderful because most running backs don't have that luxury. And there are still portions of the game where you can see that Zeke Elliott, like right there, is still an effective running back. When he can lower that shoulder, power his way into the goal line, that's something that's very valuable. You know, there are a lot of teams that don't have that luxury. When you are that close to the goal line, you can just have your quarterback turn around 
and then you know that that running back is going to find a way into the end zone. And this is the difference between six points plus an extra point and three points. That's huge. So, I mean, if we're talking about the future, yeah, I mean, I, I would say you want Tony Pollard for the future. But right now, when you have that running back tandem, you see how well it works and how those different guys can bring different elements to the game. Pop quiz. 2015 Dallas Cowboys, the year after DeMarco Murray, the year before Ezekiel Elliott. The Cowboys were 4-12. and 12. They did have a 1,000-yard rusher that year. Do you remember who it was? Oh, no. I wouldn't have. I, I, I don't know. Darren McFadden. The guy that oh, yeah. Jerry wanted to draft in 2008 out of Arkansas took Tony Jones oh, instead. Yeah. There's a name from the past. But... Darren McFadden had 1,089 yards, even though the Cowboys were 4-12. and 12. Tony Romo only played four games that year due to injury. By the way, by the way, the one silver lining yesterday for my son, he met Tony Romo, and Tony Romo was awesome to him, and that almost made up for the Vikings getting stomped the way they did. He was, he was thrilled. So thank you, Tony Romo. Let me say publicly, thank you for being nice to my nice. son. One thing you'll learn, Miles, one of these days, if you have a son or a daughter— Anybody who is nice to your kid, that's the key. I don't care if you kiss my ass. If you're nice to my kid, you're set with me. You're golden. So thank you, Tony Romo. And especially on a day like yesterday, when I think my son wanted to go straight to the airport at halftime and fly (laughs) home, he he was texting me, I want to leave. So of all the games to go to, the worst loss since the 1963 St. Louis Cardinals Went to the old Metropolitan Stadium and kicked the poop out of the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, how about this, by the way? And, and we, I guess we could call the Thanksgiving game between the Giants and the Cowboys the OBJ Bowl. Remember before week one, Beckham was joking, I think, that he would sign with whoever won the game between the Bills and the Rams. Well, now it's the Cowboys and the Giants in a potential tug of war for OBJ. He reportedly will visit both teams. Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys, said after the game that there will be an OBJ visit after Thanksgiving. And OBJ was watching yesterday, 40-3. to You know, this is a t- – and, and, and again, I don't want to fall into this trap because who knows what happens to the Cowboys this week against the Giants. Giants may be as pissed off going into Dallas as Dallas was going into Minnesota after the Giants got outclassed at home by the Lions for crying out loud. But, but, if they could get Odell Beckham Jr., that, that team we saw yesterday, that team gets even better, Miles. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's the kind of thing that you want if you are the Dallas Cowboys and you can add a weapon who can give you something. And, and Shreem Williams uh, you know, made this point on our PFT text chain. Who knows what you're really going to get out of Beckham you know, being less than a year removed from a second ACL reconstructive knee surgery? But at the same time, he's got a reputation. So if for nothing else, he can go out there, he can maybe be a little bit of a decoy. You get him a couple of plays early, and that changes the minds of defensive coordinators all around the league, and you have to at least prepare for him. And that element alone is worth something. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected The unpredictable and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. 
No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Absolutely, and uh, maybe he will make his decision based upon who wins the game on Thursday. But a great game looming between the Giants and the Cowboys. As I was saying earlier, all three games on Thanksgiving. Great, great, and great. Lions-Bills, Giants-Cowboys, Patriots-Vikings, assuming the Patriots aren't up 30-3 to at halftime, which is entirely possible. Let's pivot now to the game that Miles attended last night at SoFi Stadium. The Chargers were the home team home team the Chiefs were the visitors what was your sense because I saw I think it was you it was you that tweeted when you get to the end of the national anthem and they say the home of the Chiefs it sounded like a Chiefs home game what was your take on the split between Chargers fans and Chiefs fans it was probably about 50 50 I mean it felt like kind of a bowl game you know in the sense that uh, there were just so many Chiefs fans and because they're red they stand out more than you would see the Chargers blue because the blue blends more in with the blue seats but when you see that red and it was pretty clear when I was walking in from the parking lot there were going to be a lot of Chiefs fans in the building that's usually the case here in Los Angeles, and we've talked about it for the Rams, we've talked about it for the Chargers, it's just the way things are here in a transplant city. But yeah, it was, at, at best for the Chargers, it was 50-50. And there were, I mean, it was pretty much a wall of red behind the Chiefs bench. But And I think that the, it's not on the telecast, but you can see behind uh, the Chargers bench, it was more powder blue. But it, it, the Chiefs fans were making a lot of noise, a lot of noise. And it was something that both uh, Andy Reid and the players were acknowledging after the game, just how great the fans were for them. And when you have that in an away game, it makes a huge difference. Simple take. You abandon a market, the second biggest market in the country for 20 years. You invite everyone who lives there to be a fan of any team they choose. And then when right. those teams start coming to town, when you finally put two teams back in town, those fans are going to want to go see their favorite team play. And it's going to be that way for a while, I think, in Los Angeles. And it was a great game. I hope it keeps being this way a while for Chargers-Chiefs games. Although, one of these days, the Chargers need to come out on top again. I think back to 2018, the Thursday night game, when yeah. Phillip Rivers and company went into Arrowhead and had a, had a they were the one seed until they lost at home on the Saturday night to the Ravens. They were the one seed in the AFC in Patrick Mahomes' first year as a starter. But the Chargers having a hard time getting the better of Patrick Mahomes now. But at least we're getting great games. 30-27 to 27 is one of my all-time favorite final scores, even though that was the final score of the 1998 NFC Championship game. 30-27 to 27 means the game was exciting. It doesn't get into arena football territory like 51-48 would. 30-27 to 27 means there's a good amount of scoring. It was back and forth, and it probably had an exciting finish. And, oh, yes, Miles, you got to see a very exciting finish last night as the Chiefs keep finding a way. Sunday night football, Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes. It's not dominant, but it's ultimately successful. The thing that stuck out to me in, that, in the press conferences 
was when they asked Patrick Mahomes, well, what was the feeling in the huddle? You know, and that's one of those things sports writers always ask. And, you know, you wanted to get the, oh, he had the look in his eye and it was fire and you could just tell that it was da 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 And Mahomes said, you know, when we got into the huddle with 146 left or whatever it was, a couple of timeouts, I was just like, okay, let's go do this. It wasn't, oh, yeah, we need to go da-da-da-da-da and I need to say this and that. No, no, no. It was, okay, we've practiced the situation. We've been here before. It doesn't really matter that the guys who are out here are not necessarily the top guys, right? They're down Nicole Hardman. They're down Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, Kadarius Tony also went out. They're down a lot of guys. But the guys that were in, he said, I trust them. I know that they're going to be where they're supposed to be. And when Travis Kelsey's one-on-one, that's the guy I'm throwing to. And lo and behold, it doesn't take very much for them to go down the field and score. It just, it's one of those things where the Chiefs, their mentality, their mental fortitude, it's all so strong. They just know what they're going to do and they go and execute. Well, and when you come back and tie a playoff game, a winner-go-home contest with 13 seconds left against one of the best teams in football, that just reinforces that there's nothing to freak out about. There's nothing to panic. You don't need some moment that breaks the ice. You don't need Joe Montana to say, hey, there's John Candy sitting in the front row. You don't need anything like that. Everybody's ready to go. It's old hat. It's kind of like the Tom Brady vibe. And it's what makes the Buccaneers dangerous in the postseason, if and when, when they get there. And it makes the Chiefs dangerous every time. They show up. They live for those moments. Everything else is just kind of humdrum and mundane. That's when you come to life. And don't we all have those moments in our own life, whatever it may be, whether it's your job, whether it's something at home, you get that moment where the switch flips and you know it's time. Like, and you can dread it like, or whatever. You, you, however you feel beforehand, it doesn't matter. Because once it's time, it's time. And right. you either get it done or you don't. And for the Chiefs, it's okay. Let's go do it. And yeah, was there ever any doubt? Was well, I, did, did we expect to see Patrick Mahomes get sacked three straight times? Did we expect to see him throw an interception? It's not impossible, but we don't expect that. We expect to see them hot knife through, butter their way down the field, and get the win, and then find a way to preserve the win. That's just kind of the way it is. And uh, it's the ultimate level of confidence that is born of doing it over and over and over again. It also helps when you've never lost on the road to a division rival, 14-0. and 0. There's something wrong with that. Patrick Mahomes has never – I think it's so hard to beat division opponents. They know you. They don't fear you. Well, they, they must fear the Chiefs. You go on the road and constantly beat your division rivals 14 out of 14 times – that's one of the most amazing stats you can conjure in today's NFL because we see look, we see what the commanders did in Philly. Division rivals know how to play. They've built. They, they, they draft and sign players aimed at stopping you. They've been trying to do that. We're either going to try to slow down Mahomes. They're going to try to outscore Mahomes. Everything they try, it doesn't work. They can't beat him at home. It's amazing, Miles. You know, I, I saw a tweet yesterday, and I wish I could remember who I saw it from so I could shout them out. But it was something like the AFC West spent about a billion dollars to try to stop 
Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs in this offseason. And the division round, the division race is pretty much over by Thanksgiving. It's done. They're, they have a three-game lead in the AFC West. You know, we're seeing the Broncos and the Raiders. They are dog water. The Chargers are still the Chargers. They're all right. They're decent. They have a quarterback that we think should be great. But at this point, he's not. And I don't know if it's the scheme holding him back, the coaching holding him back, whatever it is. But the Chiefs are still the Chiefs. And, you know, you go back to the 13 seconds, right? I mean, in that particular moment, they still have Tyreek Hill. They still have Travis Kelsey. Tyreek Hill ain't there anymore. And they still are doing what they're doing. You know, the fact that they can integrate these young guys, the guys like the Pachecos of the world, the Sky Moors of the world, and they just come in there and make plays speaks to their culture. They've got such a good winning culture there of accountability, right, and success. You talk about Sky Moore, somebody who had some difficulties with the punt returns earlier on in this season, and Andy Reid was saying last night that guys on the team just kept encouraging him. And he said that peer pressure in that way is some of the best thing that you could ever have because it means that those guys believe in you. And so you're going to start believing in yourself. So that culture right now is as good as there is in football when it comes to making sure you have on-field success. All those dudes are super competitive and they all want to be great. And that's why they continue to do the things that they do in the division. It was a point that Sims made when the Cowboys didn't have Dak Prescott earlier this year and they really rolled up their sleeves and worked on getting the most out of their offense. When you have a great player, there's a temptation to kind of slip into autopilot. We got a great player. We've got Josh Allen. We've got Patrick Mahomes. We've got Tom Brady. But you still have to have the determination to get the most out of the team. It can't just be we're going to sit back and fold our arms and let our great player go do great things. And that's what the Chiefs have always been with Patrick Mahomes. And that's one of the reasons, frankly, Patrick Mahomes became Patrick Mahomes. There was a small handful of coaches who knew this guy was going to be special. There wasn't anything coming out of his time at Texas Tech that screamed out potentially one of the greatest ever. It's easy to forget because we've we've become so accustomed to the fact that Patrick Mahomes equals all-time greatness. That wasn't the case. That's why he went 10th. He would have been first. He would have gone before Miles Garrett to Cleveland. He'd be the Browns quarterback if everybody knew he was going to be this good. But he wouldn't be this good if he didn't have a coach that set that culture, an organization that puts in place everything around him where when you do have various pieces that need to step up, they step up. And the other remarkable fact, the Chiefs haven't lost a game in November or December since 2019 that's crazy i initially thought i initially thought miles it had to have been one of the patrick mahomes knee injury games remember he got hurt on a thursday night against the broncos and it looked like it was going to be really bad and he just missed a couple of games packers vikings lost to the packers beat the vikings their last loss in november or december i know what it is was to the titans 35 32 when Mahomes came back from the injury. So he actually played yeah. in that game. It was his first game back, there. barn burner against the Titans. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. there you go. See, I could. that was a pop quiz. I could have given you the where you gotten right. I should have given you the pop quiz. Because I didn't I know. know. I, I didn't know. I thought well, it was like the Packers game. Yeah, it's funny because that was it was a game after the – because I was covering the Raiders that year. So the Raiders had played on Thursday night. And so I went with a few buddies. They, they live in Nashville. 
and some of them are Chiefs fans who came from Kansas City, and we all met up and we went to that game. So yeah, that's why I know that. That was that was a crazy game too because they should have won that game, but the kick got blocked at the end of it. So that's why the Titans won. So they were either going to tie it up or something. And it was basically like the 13 seconds where I think Mahomes had something like 20, 17 seconds or something like that in order to get them into field goal range. He did. And then that kick got blocked. So, yeah. That, that, that's the only flaw when Mahomes is the one who is saving you. He's not the kicker. If Mahomes right. is the kicker, <laughs> he's making that kick. That's when you have to take him off the field and hope that others really can get it done. The guy who got it done last night for the Chiefs was Travis Kelsey with not one, not two, but three touchdown catches, including the game winner. Here's Patrick Mahomes from after the game talking about his guy, Travis Kelsey, getting it done. We do this a lot. Uh, Coach Reed prepares us for these moments. Um, we knew we had a lot of time on the clock. We knew we had some time out, so we, we didn't rush. We just kind of went, went through what we do every single day at practice and everything like that. Um, and uh, we executed. And I thought, uh, I mean, obviously, Travis, I mean, it's Travis. He makes, he's the greatest tight end of all time. He makes plays like that that win games. What's special about him is he just competes. I mean, at the end of the day, he's going to keep fighting until the very end. And um, that's uh, you, when you see that, I think it not only is impressive for him, but it gets other guys going. It shows that, I mean, he's, I mean, like I say, he's one of the best, not the best tight end of all time. And he's coming to work every single day to get better. And so that shows you whenever you step in the facility, you're like, man, I got to get to work. If this guy's doing it, I have to be able to at least match that. Um, and so that leadership that he brings, uh, as well as the play he brings in the field, is special. And it, it takes a lot, of, a lot off my shoulders. Gronk's going to hear that greatest tight end of all time and unretire. Probably not. Kelsey really is amazing. And look at that. And I love that, too. He's got... He's got just enough of that showmanship, and I think part of that's an influence of Patrick Mahomes because there is an element of, of that, are you not entertained? We see Kelsey do that from time to time, too. He throws his arms at Russell Crowe style, are you not entertained? He is very entertaining, and he's clutch. He gets open when he needs to be, and then after the catch, like he just, you know, he doesn't look like he should be able to do that, but he does it. Old man can run. Yeah, representing the suburbs of Cleveland, Ohio, Travis Kelsey, just like myself. Uh, it's so fun to watch him. You know what's funny, Mike? They, they said after the game that the Chargers apparently had a good plan for him. And boy, even Travis Kelsey was like, man, you know, Derwin James got the better of me throughout that game. I'm looking at the stats. I'm like, he had six for 115 with three touchdowns. And you think Derwin James got the better of you most of the game? Like, Wow. The Chiefs stanzas are pretty damn high. If you can end up with that and you still say, oh, man, boy, they did a great job against me. Did they? I don't know. I mean, I guess they did. If he didn't have like 200 yards, then I don't know, man. He now does have the record for the most 100 plus yard receiving games by a tight end in NFL history with 33. And I thought of something as you were saying that there was a time where the NFL's number one question was, how do you ever defend Rob Gronkowski? What do you do? I remember it was heading into the 2015 season, I believe. That was the year that the Steelers played the Patriots to start the year. And they actually ultimately tried a very novel approach of defending Rob Gronkowski with no one at all. That game included a completely busted coverage where he was 
wide open all alone. But what do you do? Do you double him? Do you use a safety? Do you use your top corner? Do you chip him at the line of scrimmage and then pass him off to somebody else? Like nobody could figure. Why has there never been an obsession with how do you stop Travis Kelsey? Maybe they know you just can't. It's not even worth wasting your time. Like, he's going to get his catches. He's going to get his yards. We just have to minimize the damage that the others do to us. And, and that's why I think there was an organizational shrug when Tyreek Hill goes. One of the reasons, we still got Travis Kelsey. We, we still know that Patrick Mahomes can rely upon him in key moments to make things happen. When the game's on the line and everybody knows he's going to get it. We've seen games like that where everybody knows who's getting it. Everybody knows. And they still make it work. And that's a testament to the greatness of Travis Kelsey. Uh, no doubt about it. He, he really is one of the greatest tight ends of all time in, in a franchise that has had more than one of them. Right. If you think about Tony Gonzalez and what he was able to do for so many years there with Kansas City. And now you have Travis in the Kelsey cold, also too. in that I had, no, I had no. Tony Gonzalez's accomplishments are even more impressive now that I know he can't function in the cold. Oh, boy. OK. All right. I don't I'm really just know making an observation. Okay. I'm just okay. saying. Anytime, I mean, he's under a heated blanket. I mean, he can't talk right in the cold. Like, how did you ever play football in Kansas City if you can't function in the cold when you're sitting and talking? Anyway, um, maybe well, he needs to be yeah. running around. Maybe he needs to be doing high knees on the sidelines. Maybe. Uh, yeah, to, uh, high knees on the sideline like some people do on planes, <laughs> allegedly, before they yes, go to London. Yes. No, it's funny, Mike. He, so, Mahomes last night, he's talking about, you know, oh, I, I – I go where the read is unless Travis Kelsey is matched up one-on-one and then I just throw it to him and everybody in the media room laughs. And so he follows up like, you're not really joking about that, are you? And and Mahomes like, no, I'm not joking. If Travis Kelsey's matched up one-on-one, he's one of the greatest tight ends of all time. Not the greatest. So yeah, I'm going to that guy. And so that's why we see what we see. And so even when Derwin James does apparently a good job against Travis Kelsey, there are points where Travis Kelsey's still going to get his. And that's just the beauty of the Chiefs offense, that they've got all these weapons that they all trust. And, you know, if you cover some guys, sometimes Travis Kelsey's going to be one-on-one and they're going to scheme that up and he's going to be that target that Patrick Mahomes trusts and he's going to make the catch and he's going to do elusive things after the catch and he's going to get into the end zone, especially against the Chargers. By the way, we should have known that Travis Kelsey was going to have the on-field trifecta during the game because prior to the game, he had the trifecta on his t-shirt. I have to get me one of these. This is going on the Christmas list, Santa. Football, family, Fonzie. (laughs) Oh, when I saw that, I couldn't believe it. And I took a picture and tweeted. Of course, the picture was all blurry and you get dragged. If If you don't put professional quality photos on Twitter, you will get dragged. But I was so excited when I saw that. And I know somebody who's a huge Fonzie fan and I texted it to him and there's Fonzie. Henry yeah. Winkler, apparently he was on Rich Eisen's show, and he was talking about how much he likes the Chiefs and Mahomes, and Fonzie is in the building. When Fonzie is on your side, people, you cannot lose. Do you yeah, even know who Fonzie I guess is? Not. I, I, the Fonzie? I don't that Monday, Tuesday, happy days. Never, Come on. All right, very good. That, that, yes, very yeah. good. You know what yeah. the original okay. theme song to Happy Days was? You know the original theme no. song? I, I, no, you'll sell me on that Rock one. Around the Clock. Rock Around the Clock. Really? Oh, okay. Hit from well, the Probably hit. better Bill known. The Comets. Winkler probably better known as uh, the guy in Barry at this point, though. I think 
Mahomes probably might know him as that more than knows him as the Fonz. He is excellent. Excellent. I think he's won at least one Emmy for his role in Barry. Excellent. And you would have never dreamed. And let me just give me the and please go ahead and play the piano music. 1970s, <laughs> decades before Miles was even on the planet. That's the true. world stopped spinning. Eight o'clock Tuesday night, ABC. Sorry, NBC. You, you it was probably pitched. You know, it's one of those shows probably pitched to everybody, and they all said no. And ABC's out. Ah, let's give it a shot. <laughs> Just said on it another was network. <laughs> a point. I can. I I have no problem with acknowledging historical facts. ABC is the network that had <laughs> the it. Second different the network shout out we've given today. Spinning. What was the other one? CBS. I didn't mention oh, Tony the other- Romo is so great. Oh, oh, that's true. Well, well, but Tony Romo was nice to my kid. I'm sorry. Yeah, like I say, nice to my kid, and you're in with me. The world stopped spinning when the Fonzie showed up. And it was one of those things where anytime he'd walk in, because they would tape it before a live studio audience, they, I, I'm sure they had to, like, cut out 15 seconds of standing ovation for what they call the recognition applause for Henry Winkler playing the Fonz. A, a character, by the way, that he honed from – his time acting with, do you know? Do you know? Sylvester Stallone, Lords of Flatbush. He had that Stallone, Rocky vibe to him. He picked it up from Stallone. They were in the Lords of Flatbush together before Winkler was on Happy Days. How did we get that far off the rails? Oh, hey, anytime Fonzie is mentioned, Miles, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to deal with my nostalgia and reminiscing about the guy who was the actual coolest human being in the universe in the early 1970s the fonts okay that's great <laughs> I, I don't have much no. to say about the fonts man i i was so confused about what in the world was going on because you know when you're in the stadium and you don't you, you don't have that you're not listening to the television broadcast so i didn't know like, you tweet out that terrible photo and i'm like what does he do like what <laughs> i love the shirt like, what is the shirt like i don't I have no idea what in the world is going on. But see, so, see, I don't know. Th- it was the perfect if you know, you know. Because for anybody who knew about Fonzie, it was obvious that that was Fonzie. If you don't know about Fonzie, you can't read it. That's a good litmus test. If you know, because the guy I sent it to, he didn't say what's in the photo. He knew it was Fonzie. You can tell by the the leather jacket and the thumbs up, it's the Fonz. All right. Okay. Um, I don't know where to go from there. How about the Chargers? They fall to five and five. They were five and three. We saw them back-to-back weeks in prime time, national television, games they led, games they could have won, games they should have won. They fall to the 49ers. They fall to the Chiefs. This one was flexed in. It wasn't set up this way to have back-to-back Chargers games. And now they're going to be in that scrum to get to the playoffs. Right now, they're on the outside looking in, thanks to all the teams in the AFC East. They got some work to do, and we know they're not going to win the division now. The question becomes, can they emerge from that pack of second-place teams that may or may not get in? At least one second-place team isn't going to get in. Maybe three second-place teams won't get in if the AFC East keeps doing what it's doing, Miles. Well, you know, the Chargers are just this team where they're always so close. And it was kind of like that with Anthony Lynn before. And then you hire Brandon Staley and you think, all right, now we're going to get them over the hump. And, you know, when you have this quarterback who can do this on third and 18, and that poor rookie cornerback, I mean, he's going up against Keenan Allen like that. There's, there's no good defense for that. 
because I'm looking at it and you know you see it and it's like okay well he looks in good position he looks in good position and then boom Allen separates and he does that and then that was a phenomenal throw by Justin Herbert to Joshua Palmer in the end zone there for that touchdown that go-ahead touchdown but they just aren't able to hold on. It's always something with the Los Angeles Chargers. And uh -huh, see, that's my line. Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana. It's always something. That's uh, you made it? an unintended SNL reference. I've been saying it all year. It's always something. Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana, another another great character that you probably have no idea who it is. You are really dating yourself in this show, Mike. I, I don't <laughs> care. I don't care. You know what, though? You know what, though? Oh, My boy. technology worked today, Mr. <laughs> Millennial Generation Y. I didn't. I, I was ready to go. I know. You're probably in the chair with five minutes to go today. I'm like, oh, where's Miles? He's usually here. Yeah, it's uh, anyway. Yeah, it's just it's always something with them. And I, it, it's funny because people now are doing the thing where it's like, oh, well, you said that Justin Herbert's so good, but Justin Herbert always loses <laughs> to a tongue of by lower wins. Oh, no. No, no. I don't want to no, no. get into that too much because I don't. But I, I'm starting to think at some point they're not entirely wrong. But is it because it was more about what they're doing and coaching? Because 31 seconds. Imagine if we saw Patrick Mahomes in Chiefs offense 31 seconds, two timeouts. All they need is a field goal to extend the game. We think they're going to do that, right? Yes, we do. Justin Herbert comes out, and I don't know if it was a QB draw or what What the hell is this? Is that a QB draw? Because Chris Jones said after the game, it's one of the easiest sacks I've ever had. So wh what is that? And then the next play, he throws an interception. And it's like he's trying to force this thing into a tight window, and he's moving, and maybe he's trying to throw it away. I don't know, but the dude's double covered. I, I, this is not the kind of thing that you want to see in somebody who's supposed to be elite. So I guess I don't know if it's coaching. I don't know if this is, just, this is the way that Justin Herbert is. But if you're an elite quarterback, if you're taking that step to be elite, then you need to be able to get it done in those situations. 31 seconds, more than one timeout, is more than enough time from the minus 25 to get yourself in the makeable field goal range if you're doing it right. They're just not doing it right. First of all, it was a great recognition, a great play by Chris Jones. I don't know that most defensive tackles are going to grab Justin Herbert and drag him to the ground in that moment because he pops past that. Who knows how far he runs? Secondly, secondly, and look, I, I, I know that the Tua vibe is strong. He's playing well. He's got all the pieces around him. He's got great coaching. I think it's safe to say, and I think even, even the most ardent Tua defender would agree with me that if you took Tua from the Dolphins and put him on the Chargers and took Justin Herbert from the Chargers and put him on the Dolphins with everything they have, with Mike McDaniel as the coach, the Dolphins wouldn't yeah. be seven and three. Well, I mean, Dolphins would be eight and two, nine and one, or ten and zero. Oh. I and you don't get yourself in a spot where you're trying to make something happen, and you're going beyond your physical abilities. The thing that Jameis Winston 
did way too many times and one of the reasons why he's not playing now. You try to do more than you can. We saw Justin Herbert try to do more than he physically can last night because what am I going to do? You don't even get that point if you've got Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill and Mike McDaniel and Jeff Wilson Jr. and the defense that they have in Miami, which is very underrated. So, I, I, I look, at two, is, two is great. K- kudos. Well done, two and on. You, you were right. But, but even you, deep down, would recognize if you swap Herbert for Tua, the Dolphins are unstoppable and the Chargers aren't 5-5. Five and five. Look, like I said, there are flashes of that elite play from Justin Herbert. That throw to Keenan Allen on third and 18 is not a throw that most quarterbacks can make. It's just not. You know, that play that he made to get that touchdown to Joshua Palmer was outstanding. And I'm not saying that, you know, we shouldn't think of Justin Herbert as somebody with a great arm talent, but it's those, it's those times where it's nut-cutting time, right? Where you have to go and you have to make a play. It's the situations that we've seen time and time again from Patrick Mahomes where he goes and he does it. We're not seeing that yet from Justin Herbert. And I think in this year, he's in his third season. He's supposed to be taking that step to being elite, and he's not quite doing it yet because he's not getting it done in the most critical moments. You know, and it's not the third and 18 is not a most critical moment. It is a very critical moment. You get the touchdown and you go ahead with – less than two minutes to go that's a critical moment too but when you get the ball back with 31 seconds and multiple timeouts you have to be able to get it done then and he wasn't able to get it done so i it's i'm not trying to you know urinate on I don't Herbert's talent i but it's At, just you got to get it done yeah the, the, i had the image of the little calvin sticker that used to be on the back of every car yes that's the little, what i was thinking of yeah 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 so uh well well said. And until he does it once, it, it has to become a thing. You don't just wake up one day and say, hey, I'm going to go win a game with half a minute left. And you need to have that belief. It needs to get to the point where it's just nonchalant like it is with the Chiefs. And that's fundamentally the difference in the game. The Chiefs right. did it when they had to, and the Chargers yes. didn't. Period. Yes. End of story. Yes. End of segment. 55-minute opening segment. 45 minutes for Miles. When we return... The Eagles and the Bills bounced back from Week 10 adversity. We'll talk about those two games when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.